tonight. So we've been talking about um, signs of the times, what's happening in the last days. And today we're going to be talking about the attack on children and the apathy of the church. That's the title of my message. I wanted to go hard or go home, you know. The attack on children and the apathy of the church. So for those who don't know me, I'm the youth in, um, my name's Ash. I'm the youth and children's pastor here in this church. So you can understand that this is a topic very close to my heart, something I'm incredibly passionate about. And um, just seeing beautiful little Noelle down here this morning made me want to cry because looking at her and the joy and the freedom she had in worshipping the Lord, I was like, that's incredible. But that's exactly what the enemy's going after. That's exactly what he wants to do is to take that away, to rob our children of that. He wants to destroy their innocence. He wants to take that away so they can't be like that. And we have to rise up church and to protect children. And um, I just wanna warn you in advance is that what I'm gonna talk about today is going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy, but we're, we are not, in a time, we've never been in a time, but especially not now, in a time where we can turn a blind eye or say, that's too hard to hear, or that's too heavy, or that's too much, or that's not happening. We are not and have never been in a time, especially as believers, where we can do that. And so if this is something that personally affects you, I encourage you you know, to, to speak to um, a leader. You're, you know, you're welcome to um, walk out if you need a moment or anything. But if it's something that you can stay in and listen to, I encourage you to stay in and listen to because this should actually hurt your heart and convict you and challenge you to do something. So the attack on our children has been greater now. Oh, sorry. Thank you very much, band. The attack on our children has been greater now than ever before, than ever before in history. And This is the time where Christians, I believe, have become the most apathetic. You know, we've said silly things like we're in a Christian nation. We're in a free nation. This wouldn't happen here. That happens in other places. If you say that, you are naive. If you say that, you are so blind to what's happening here. In our blindness and our apathy, we have given ground to the enemy. It was Christians who fought to emancipate slaves. It was Christians who fought against sex trafficking and child prostitution. It's Christians who have made some of the most um, groundbreaking changes in the world to free people from enslavement, to free people from the most important social and moral reforms in our world today have happened because Christians have decided to stand up and to speak up and to do something about it. And so we cannot sit back and do nothing when evil is happening. These changes only happen when Christians are moved to action. And the last days are not the best of days. The last days are the worst of days. Has anyone read Revelation? It's the worst of days. So if we are in the last days, then we should be the most stirred to do something about the things going on in our world. This is the darkest of days, but we are called to be the light of the world. So we're called to go into darkness and bring the light of God in those dark places. We are not more civilised and more advanced than we've ever been. And I'll show that to you in a second. We are actually worse than we have ever been. And the corruption, especially the attack on our children, is worse than it had ever been in the whole of history. So I just want to start with this verse because I love this verse so much. It's the thing that I carry in my heart. 
as a kid's pastor, says in Matthew 18, verse 5 to 6, whoever receives one little child like this in my name, this is Jesus speaking, in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And I want to say that because it is serious. You know, this verse doesn't specifically apply just to children, but we're going to talk just about children today. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, in other ones it says to stumble, if you're going to cause harm to a child, it is better for you to drown in the depths of the sea than to face the wrath of God. It is better for you because God takes the attack on children seriously. He cares about kids. So I want to give you an overview of what is happening to our children right now. And this is just some, this barely scratches the surface. This is where it gets heavy. I'm just going to give you the brief because if I gave you the entirety of everything, one, we'd be here forever, but two, it would just be a lot. So we're going to start with child traf- trafficking and domestic abuse. There are 40.3 million trafficked persons globally today and 25% of them are children. That's a conservative estimate, by the way. It is the second largest illicit industry next to the drug trade. Sex trafficking is the most common type of trafficking in the US, also in Australia. We think it's always overseas, but it's happening here too. 72% of survivors in North America were trafficked for sexual exploitation of those who were trafficked. Trafficking also doesn't need to involve kidnapping. I think a lot of us are always looking out like, oh, they're going to get kidnapped and taken. Yes, that does happen. But the most common type of trafficking actually happens to children by people they know. And just in my own personal research over the years, I've just heard story after story after story of children being sold by their uncles, by their aunties, by their mothers, by their fathers being prostituted out as young children, young as like three years old, four years old, by their own families. So trafficking doesn't have to involve kidnapping and this is happening on a large scale globally. Part of child trafficking um, is not even just taking, they take children for labour, they take children for sex, but they also have um, these things called baby factories where they take young girls and they rape them to impregnate them so they can take their babies and they can traffic their babies. They're called baby factories because they take babies, these babies, and they sell them for their body parts. They also sell them for sex trafficking as well. Children are also trafficked um, for, yeah, like I said, organ harvesting and body parts. In Australia, studies found that almost one in four Australians experience one or more types of contact child sex abuse. In one in five experienced non-contact child sexual abuse. Almost one in ten Australians experienced forced sex in childhood. And again, these statistics are considered conservative because often victims don't speak out about um, or report their experiences. One in four child sex abuse cases in Australia also involves one child abusing another child. Particularly um, child... Uh, sorry. Sorry, there's a lot here. And much of this is fueled by the prevalence of pornography in our society as well. Children are learning how to abuse other children by watching pornography. Children are um, also being abused and being trafficked because 
of the prevalence of pornography that is distorting and perverting people's minds and they want to play out their fantasies in real life on children. The next, another attack on children is we've got abortion and euthanasia. There's an estimated 70 to 80 million children killed every year through abortion worldwide. 70 to 80 million. That's a number you can't even fathom. That's more than our country. That's, that's multiple, multiple times the population of our country. 70 to 80 million children aborted worldwide every year. It's estimated in Australia it's about 70, 80,000 children every year who are aborted. It's around about four to 5,000 in South Australia. It's estimated that half to one third of all women in Australia would experience an abortion in their lifetime. 93% of all babies diagnosed with Down syndrome syndrome are aborted in Australia and in other countries up to 100%. Australia as a nation does not recognise, except for I believe South Australia is the only exception to this rule, Australia as a nation does not recognise children who are unwanted as persons under the law. So if they were meant to be aborted and they survived the abortion, they're not treated as persons under the law, they are left to die under our law. Between the years 2010 and 2020, in just Queensland and Victoria, because not every, um, not every state keeps stats, that's why we don't have a definite number on abortions in Australia. There's your cover-up, isn't it? They're not keeping track. Over 700 children between the um, years 2010 to 2020 in Victoria and Queensland were recorded as being aborted, um, be, uh, being born alive as a result of a failed abortion and left to die. And that's something that's going through Parliament at the moment and I want to make you aware of it if you're not already because they're trying to get protections for these children so they will be treated as persons under the law and will be able to be provided with care. But right now, for example, in Queensland, the um, guidelines state uh, that in the case of a live birth, do not provide life-sustaining treatment. So if a baby is born alive, even if they're completely healthy, do not provide life-sustaining treatment. Leave them. And most often, they're left either in just like a kidney dish, left alone, they're not touched, they just leave them there till they breathe their last breath. In other cases, I've heard they've been put in a storage cupboard and left there until they, um, they breathe their last breath. Some babies live for hours, hours alone and cold, with no one to hold them and no one to care for them, suffering until they die. It's pretty awful. I know in some cases I don't know in Australia for sure because our research is a little bit behind on some of those things or either that or I haven't found it yet. But I know for sure in America that they even make a, um, a profit out of keeping babies alive after their abortion. They don't tell their mothers, but then they take them and they sell them. Because you can get it, I read something the other day where they said you can get about $50,000 for an abortion, but you can get $500,000 to sell a live baby. It is a profit-making scheme. They t they, abortion is a money-making industry where they sell children for their body parts. In Another one that's coming up is euthanasia and assisted suicide. We're seeing this take off over the world for minors. In Switzerland, you can get, you, there's no age required, no medical diagnosis required. So children can go and kill themselves legally under the law with the help of medical professionals. In the Netherlands, both euthanasia and assisted suicide are also available to anyone from the age of 12 and 16 without parental consent. 
And if we follow the track record, we follow the same patterns we see in the Western world. So it's not going to be long if it's not already moving here. I, it's very hard sometimes to keep on, tra on top of all of these different issues and where they're at. So, you know, if you know where it's at, let me know. But I'm, I don't know if it's here yet, but the chances are if it's not here already and in the works, it will be soon. The other thing is the sexualization of our children. Our school curriculums are more focused on telling children how to use condoms and to have sex than to, and explore their sexuality than to be competent in basic English and maths. And I hear this all the time from my youth kids about the things that they're being taught in school. I see this all the time through my research, the filth that they put in the school curriculums and in the school libraries. I think it's crazy. I've seen so many um, American school boards because they have this whole thing where it's televised and the parents have been going into the school boards and, and bringing out material and reading it in front of the school boards and they're being told they can't read out the content their children have in the classrooms on these live streams because it's inappropriate. But it's the same material they're teaching to the children and letting them have access to in their schools. It is so filthy and we have... Thank, we can thank the likes of the sickos like Sigmund um, Freud, John Money, Alfred Kinsey, who have had a great influence over the last um, century to, to build upon this, this ideology that children are sexual beings from birth and their ultimate aim is to remove the age of consent. Why do you think we've got this thing now? It's not pedophiles, it's minor attracted persons. It's called minor attracted persons now because calling someone a pedophile, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's mean, it's cruel, it's not okay. What about the children? What about the children? Where, 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 are, we, where are we caring about the children here? We're caring about someone's feelings over a child's life. And, and we do this thing called minor attractive persons because that's going to be put, well, I know in some cases it's already been put under the LGBTQ flag, is it's just a sexuality and you can't do anything about it and you just have to accept that that's what someone feels and that's what someone naturally is inclined towards, which the studies show is actually not true. It's actually something, there's nothing sexual about children. Um, a desire for children in that way is something that is, some, that is cultivated through pornography. On top of that, we've got mature age minors. So that's something that this, the LGBTQ thing has pushed through is this idea of mature age minors that children can choose their own gender, their own sex, they can consent to hormones and, and transitioning and that's something that's happening across states in, in Australia. But why they got this idea of mature age minors if it's not bad enough that they consent to these things is because they're trying to get the idea that children are mature enough to consent to sex. Because eventually, and I had this disturbing conversation, me and Sophie did with this um, lady at a conference recently. And so she's a sexologist and she works with um, abuse survivors, particularly um, children. And she asked us this question, does sexual abuse, child sexual abuse actually exist? And we're like, what do you mean? I was so like, I was so shocked by what she said it. I'm like, I thought we were on the same team here. She goes, no, I'm asking you this question seriously because look at what they're doing. They're trying to make it normal so that the abuse no longer exists. You cannot prosecute someone under the law if a child can consent. You cannot prosecute someone under the law if it is an identity or sexuality that is accepted under the law because then they're just being themselves and we are being... Um, What's the word called? Then it becomes a hate crime, doesn't it? To uh, prosecute someone under the law for them acting out on their sexual fantasies if they are a recognised identity. 
How sick is that? It is sick. It is absolutely sick and twisted, but this is what is happening. This is all what is happening in our world. You know, I just saw this week a story of a German daycare that promotes sexual exploration rooms. There's two of them now in Germany where the children can engage in sexual games and encourage to masturbate and to touch each other. This is in kindergarten in Germany. And again, like I said, if it's happening in the Western world, it's not going to be long before it's happening here. If we don't do something, you can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. And then we've got the LGBTQ ideology, which is telling children they're born in the wrong body, that they should explore their sexuality, which in the first place, the fact that that's in our schools when it is illegal for minors to engage in sexual activity, and then we encourage that in the schools, I think that in the first place is just so sick and, and wrong and how they can get away with that when it's actually against the law. But on top of that, they are twisting, um, they are messing with children's minds. They tell them to ex- experiment, question their gender, explore their sexuality, explore that physically through sex changes, through sexual exploration, through hormones, um, to socially change the way that they dress and their pronouns. They mess them up emotionally and tell them that their feelings dictate their reality. Children are being attacked from every possible angle you can imagine. And we need to do something about it. You know, God's Word says in Psalm 127 verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. You know, children are a blessing. Children are called a blessing. They're a gift from God. And I know some parents out there, you're like, yeah, yeah, they are, but also they're very difficult. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't wipe that part out, but they are a blessing from the Lord. They are a reward from the Lord, it says. But the world says we hate children. The world says children can be killed for, to pay for the consequences of our actions. Children can be used as an object for our pleasure. Children can be exploited for our own gain. That's the messaging of the world. And we have to be so, so careful that we are actually listening and hearing that messaging. Because I find so many people do not speak out on these things because they're worried of hurting people's feelings or offending them. Listen to the true messaging that's underlying it and you'll change your mind. And where have we seen this before? Well, we talked about um, Ashtoreth, right? The god Ashtoreth the other week. Well, you know who's the god behind this one? Molech, the god of child sacrifice. The god of child sacrifice. And we see him all throughout the Bible. And I don't know if this god ever truly left. I believe he has always been worshipped and now more prevalently than ever before. We have given him more ground, more platform and more prominence than he's ever had in all of history. For those who don't know who Moloch is, he, um, the, the image of Moloch was a human figure with a bull's head and outstretched arms ready to receive children for sacrifice. And what they would do is they would light a fire, so he was surrounded in fire and they would heat up this statue and they would put babies into the hands of Moloch and then they would beat drums and play flutes and drown out the cries of that baby as it burned to death. That was what child sacrifice through Moloch was. They drowned out the cries of those victims. And in our society today, we are drowning out the cries of victims in the name of tolerance. In Leviticus 18 verse 21, it says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. 
This is God's commands to the Israelites. In Leviticus 20 verse 2, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. God is serious about child sacrifice. God is serious about children. He said that they should be put to death if they worship this God. You know, Deuteronomy 18 verse 12 says, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And in that list of things that were an abomination to the Lord involved those who allow their children to pass through the fire um, of sacrifice to Moloch. And the audacity of the church of today to think we're not still sacrificing children of the altar of Moloch is crazy to me. The evidence is so clear and it's blaring in our faces every single day. We just have to open our eyes to see it. We are drowning out the cries as we ignore abortion, as we diminish the impact or, um, or desensitise ourselves to child trafficking and child abuse, where we stay silent as children are being rendered sterile and becoming suicidal as they have hormones injected into them and body parts cut off of them in the name of love and tolerance. This is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. For those who don't know, he was a martyr um, during World War II. He was a pastor in Germany and He was one of the only German pastors that decided to stand up against Hitler and his regime. You know what other pastors were doing? They were singing in the churches as the trains passed by them where they could hear the cries of the Jews heading off to concentration camps and they just sang louder to drown out the cries of those who were hurting, who were in distress. They refused to stand up against the regime because they said, oh, well, we need to honour government. They allowed the Nazis to infiltrate the church. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those who was a just man who stood up against the evil of his day and he paid the ultimate price of his life for it. But he says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. I want to read that again. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. So what does God tell us to do? He doesn't tell us to stay silent in the face of evil. He doesn't tell us to do nothing, to, to, to tune out our ears to the cries of those who are hurting. But it says in Psalm 82 verse 3 to 4, Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 31 verse 8 to 9, Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Open your mouth, speak up, stand up, judge righteously. What does it mean to judge righteously? It's to judge in God's standard, not the standard of the world. Is this right by God's standard or not? Because if it's not, we don't tolerate it. If it's not, we don't tolerate it and turn out, well, it's not happening in my family. Well, it's not happening in my circle, so it's all good. Well, it's not happening in my church, so it's all good. No, we're called to judge righteously. That means in every sphere of our life, we have to get involved as Christians. If it's not the church, then who? If it's not the church of Jesus Christ, then who will do it? Who will stand up for them? God will not hold us guiltless for our apathy 
in these um, situations. Remember, we all have to stand before God one day. We all have to come before God and we have to give an account of our life. And when God brings these issues of our day before us, I believe He will when we stand before the throne of heaven. So when, when the abortion bill came through, what did you do about it? When the school that you sent your children to was being attacked and indoct- um, infiltrated with all this LGBTQ ideology, what did you do about it? You know, what are we doing about it? When you heard about the cries of children in, in, um, who are suffering through sex trafficking and sexual abuse, what did you do about it? What did you do about it? You've said in your apathy, we say in our apathy, I just don't care that much and I'm too preoccupied with my own issues. But God will not hold us guiltless for that. In the Bible, we see time and time again that Jesus sees the suffering. Jesus sees the suffering of others. And what does he do? He doesn't go, they're there. He doesn't go, oh, I feel bad for you. Oh, that's, that's really awful. That sucks. No, he's moved to action. He's moved to action. When he saw the people were hungry, you know, when he fed the 5,000, he saw that they were hungry first and he said it was moved with compassion. And so he was moved to action and he found food for the people, right? When Jesus saw people suffering, you know, with illnesses and things like that, he was moved with compassion to see their struggle, to see their pain. And he was moved to action to heal them, to relieve them of their suffering, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be moved with compassion by, by the issues of this world. We need to be moved to action. You know, I know when I, um, I went on a trip uh, with my dad to Thailand um, in 2019, and we went with um, the organisation Compassion. For those who don't know who Compassion is, they're a child sponsorship program. And we went because there was a trip we got to go on to go and meet our sponsor children and honestly, it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. I really encourage you to do it. But we went there. I had no intention of sponsoring any children when I was there. Like, you know, you've got to work out your budget and see if there's room for things. And then I was like, I've already got two sponsored children. You know, like, we're good. Um, I'm just going to go and meet my kids and we'll have a great time. and It'll be awesome. So we went there on this trip. And there was this day where we were talking to our, our leader of the trip. And he said to us, he was telling us a story about what happens to children in these countries. You know, Bangkok is one of the, um, the central district, uh, uh, places in the world, one of the capitals for sex trafficking. You know, it's a place where lots of Western people, Westerners are the ones that fuel, fuel this industry, are c- come there to, to, to basically, yeah, pick up prostitutes and a lot of these ones are children. And so obviously because there is a demand, they want to fuel the need and so they go looking for these children and... Our leader was telling us that um, what they do is they come into these villages. He said, compassion is so important because it saves these children from not just from poverty, but what actually poverty brings into their life. And what he said is that they come, these scouts come to these villages and they find these poor families and they say to them, hey, we've got this secretary job for your daughter. They're looking at little girls, 12 to 16 years old, and they say, you know, we've got this secretary job for your daughter and it's going to pay you so much money and it's going to help your family and, you know, she's going to have a nice place to live and all this kind of stuff. And they talk up this whole thing and they go, wow, you know, because a lot of them don't have access even to education for starters. So that's an incredible opportunity. Wow, she's going to get a job. She's going to be able to provide. She's going to have this great future. And so they send these children off thinking that this is what they're going to do and instead what they're actually doing is they're taking them to traffic them. 
And what happens as a result of that is that the girls, they do get to send some money home, but they get stuck in a cycle of being trafficked for sex. And, and what happens is they're so ashamed of what's happened to them, which is not a result of even their fault at all. They don't even tell their families that that's what's happened to them. They, they keep up the act. And so the cycle as well continues. And when I heard this, my heart was absolutely broken. And so we went, went to this village and he told us this before we got to this place where there was this young girl that was the only one in her village who hadn't yet been sponsored. And so I was like, I have to sponsor this girl. And why do I have to sponsor this girl is because I let God break my heart for what breaks his, is that there's children in this community, if they don't get sponsorship and they become prey to these people who want to traffic them. It's, it's so important that we let God break our heart. How can we hear stories like that and not be moved to action? How can we hear the suffering of others like that and the vulnerability of others and not be moved to action? not be moved with compassion. And you know why? I think it's because much of this has infiltrated the church and the church lacks a conviction and an urgency for for repentance over its own works of darkness. In Ephesians 5 verse 8 to 11, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. But rather expose them. We are children of light, so we need to walk in the light. And if there is darkness, we don't have friendship with darkness. We don't have companionship. We don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We expose them. That's what we're called to do. But how can you expose the works of darkness if you yourself are a perpetrator? How can you expose the works of darkness if you yourself are caught up in it, if you yourself have fellowship with darkness? You know, the statistics surrounding pornography addictions in the church are just as bad as that outside of the church. If you're watching porn, you cannot have true outrage against child trafficking and sexual exploitation of others when you are the one who is fueling the industry through your actions. If you refuse to repent and seek help, then you are part of the problem because your addiction is fueling the very industry that's keeping these children in bondage. If not for yourself, do it for the kids. There's some of you in this room who've been affected by abortion, whether it's your personal story or it's the story of another person in your family. I've met so many people who've been involved in the action by pressuring someone to do it. You're just as much guilty. Because you, where you've turned a blind eye, or if you've refused to speak up, or you've had the attitude of, I don't agree with it, but I, and I wouldn't do it myself, but it's okay if other people do it, that's their own business. Then you're complicit where you have had a hand in leading another person to take that action, you're complicit. You know, we need to repent. We need to repent, church. Well, we have been apathetic because not to act is to act. Not to act is to act. Not to speak is to speak because your silence speaks volumes. Your silence speaks volumes. We need to repent. The shame and the guilt you carry for being part of these things um, will prevent you from ever speaking up about it. 
if you continue in sin, if you continue carrying these, these shames or these guilt of the weight of your sin, you will never speak up about these issues. You will never speak up about it because it personally is something that you have not dealt with in your own life. And we'll, you'll feel exposed. But I just want to tell you that in the grace and mercy of God, there is forgiveness and freedom when we repent. There is forgiveness and freedom. When we feel that brokenness for our sin and we bring it before God, and when we, we are sorry and we turn away from these things towards God, you know, when we pray that prayer, God created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me, what happens? The Bible tells us in Acts 3 verse 19, repent then and be converted, which means to turn to God, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It starts with us to expose the darkness in this world, it starts with exposing the darkness in ourselves. If we have joined ourselves with darkness and doing things undercover where we're not talking about it, where we're not trying to get help, where we're not repenting before God for our participation, we are part of that problem. But God tells us there's another way. We can expose the darkness in this world by exposing, firstly, the darkness in yourself, willing to deal with your sin. Because if you don't deal with your sin, you'll be ineffective in your ability to bring the light of God into the world because you have un, um, fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. These things that have infiltrated the church, you know, need to be cleaned up first before we can have an impact on the world. Because if we are like the world, how do we have an impact on the world? You know, we're at the most a dim light. We're at the most a light under the bowl, like the Bible tells us, because we've allowed it to fester and continue in the holy place of God. We need to stop being apathetic about the sin in our lives. And I'm not here to condemn anyone today. Please hear my heart. I want you to be free. I want you to experience the forgiveness. When you actually expose the darkness in yourself, yes, some of you, you're gonna have some things that you feel incredibly ashamed about, but that is the enemy's tactic, right? He makes you feel ashamed so you never do anything. Because can you imagine how passionate you would be about freeing children from sex trafficking and helping people get off their pornography addictions if you get free yourself? Can you imagine the impact you would have when you have a testimony to share about what God has done in your life? Can you imagine how passionate you would be about helping um, release baby, like helping mothers to, to keep their babies, helping fight against this awful industry of abortion if you yourself have, have released, um, have given that suffering, that pain that you've been carrying of being part of that process, whether it's your personal story or whether it's someone in your life that you have feel that guilt and shame of because you actually helped them and aided them in doing that. Can you imagine the power of being free from that? Can you imagine the power of giving your sin over to God and confessing that to God and letting those times of refreshing come from the Lord? I'm not here to condemn anyone here today, but I am here to help convict you and show you the way forward. You know, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 said, And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There is actually power in revealing our darkness to the light because we say, I'm not enough, God. I can't do it alone. Yeah, I've done some wrong things, but the power of Christ, that He can take me as sinner, that He can take the darkness in my life and that He can turn it for good for His glory, that He can redeem me that He can forgive me, that He can save me. 
How incredible is that power? His grace is sufficient, is enough. And it's not a get out of jail free card. It's empowering grace that helps us to live the life that He's called us to. Because I'm telling you, you can't do this without Him. You can't do this without Him. You cannot get clean on your own. You cannot get free on your own, but by the power of God's grace, it is sufficient for you and is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. Church, Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. As Pastor Ian always says, He's coming back tomorrow or any day after that. But if we look at the signs of the times, He's coming back soon. How much longer? You know, you can just feel it. We don't know the exact time or day, but He's coming back soon and He's coming back for His bride. His bride is the church. And what does He say He's coming back for in Ephesians 5.27? He's coming back for a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. If we start at the beginning of that, Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Too many people have just sat in church and not let God cleanse you have not let God touch your life, touch your sin, touch those areas in your life that you hold so secretly, tightly locked away. He wants to make a perfect and spotless bride for Himself. He's coming back for that bride. But that bride cannot make herself clean. That bride has to be clean. It says by the washing of water by the Word that He wants to sanctify you. He wants to cleanse you. Let us not just be those that hear the Word, but be changed by the Word. We can't be washed by the Word if we don't apply the Word to our lives. If we don't let our lives be changed and transformed by the Word of God. Be doers of His Word. In Joel 2 verse 12 to 13, it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. So rend, which means to tear, tear your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. Let His Word change us. Turn to me with all your heart, He said. We should feel the weight of our sin. Too many people play church. Too many people play church. We just show up and we look like we've got the right attitude of your heart. We might lift our hands. We might even get on our knees. We might even read our Word every day. Wouldn't that be a great thing? But if it doesn't change your heart, it means nothing to God. That's why He says, rend your heart, not your garments. Tear your heart, not your garments. Because what they used to do in a sign of mourning before God for their sin, they would tear their clothes. But the tearing of the clothes means nothing. The outward sign of of grief over your sin means nothing if your heart is not broken. If your heart is not torn before God, if your heart is not torn up for the sin that you carry and you come to God in true repentance, not in outward, just outward actions alone, but an inward transformation of the heart. It's in the action of living out the Word of God that your life is changed, is purified, is transformed, is moulded into the image of Christ. As Jesus says in John 14 verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We're called to 
action. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, but it's because of our faith that we outwork. We need to take sin seriously in our life. How can we be defenders of the most innocent if we don't take it seriously in our own life? Then who are we to try and make a difference in the world around us? And I've seen that happen to people before where they've tried to do the outward works, but one day it catches up with them when they haven't dealt with it on the inside. Then people start to go, hang on, don't you do this? Don't you do that? Aren't you just... And their whole message their whole works become unfruitful. Everything they work for is lost because they never dealt with it in themselves and they've just become a straight up hypocrite. You know, Jesus drove people out of the temple with whips who dared defile the holy place of God. Can you imagine what He would do to those who dare defile His beloved children? We need to take it seriously. We have to have a righteous anger towards the things that hurt God's people, especially children. So I want to read you this in Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. It's called, The Son of Man Will Judge the Nations. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and He will set the sheep on His right hand and put the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then you'll also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Our actions do not equal our salvation, but we are saved by grace through faith. But if your faith is truly genuine, will it not move you to action? If your faith is truly genuine, will we not see it in your works? If your faith is truly genuine, then is your heart not broken for what breaks God's heart? If your faith is truly genuine, then are you not disturbed within yourself about those issues that matter to God? The believers in Acts were called those who turned the world upside down. But there's believers today who people don't even know you're Christian, let alone make any significant impact in the world. Because we have been apathetic. We have hidden away. We have withdrawn. We have focused on our own little worlds and not addressed 
our own hearts before God. As believers, action is required of us and speaking the truth is required of us because we are called to be the light of the world. Many will say it's too political. It's too political. Or we just preach Jesus. How can you preach Jesus without preaching the things that matter to Him? How can you preach Jesus? How can you say you preach Jesus if you don't address the fact that 80 million children are killed every single year through abortion? Does that not matter to God? It's not, not one of His commandments, do not murder. Let's not get caught up in this language. It's too political. I don't get involved in politics. I don't. No, these are people's lives. These are gospel issues. Our heart should break for what breaks God's heart. I love this quote from Martin Luther. It says, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. I love that. I can profess Jesus all I like, but if I refuse to address the point that the devil is attacking the most in our society, then I'm actually not preaching Christ because I'm not preaching the entirety of His Gospel. I'm only picking and choosing what sounds nice and light and fluffy, which is gonna win you brownie points, which is gonna win you friends. Can I tell you, speaking up on these issues does not win you friends. Does not win you friends. I've lost so many friends. I had a massive group of friends at school. I don't have a single one of those friends today. They all left my life because of the stance I took on these issues. They hated me for it. But I'm here to profess Christ, regardless of the cost. I'm here to speak into the issues of today. We're nearly there, church. Ezekiel 33 verse 7 to 9 says, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you want the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We actually have to hold ourselves to account. We will be held to account because if God tells us to speak and we refuse to speak, what does it actually say? It said that His blood, the blood of those people you were called to call out will be on your hands because you did not tell them the truth. You did not correct them in their wickedness. And I'm not saying we got to speak the truth in love. This is not about being self-righteous. But you actually have to do something about wickedness. If He doesn't listen, you've delivered your soul, it says. But if you don't speak, then that's on you. The church of today is worshipping two gods like the Israelites, expecting the blessing of God while sacrificing their children while living in the culture of the world and also coming to church on Sunday, expecting that will fix their problems. But you cannot because He will sift the wheat from the chaff. He will separate the goats from the sheep. The day of reckoning is coming and we have to get ourselves right before God. We cannot stay silent in the face of evil and it starts with addressing the evil, the wickedness in our own hearts. Render your heart and not your garments.
we have to come to God in repentance. So I just ask everyone in this place right now just to close your eyes. I just want to ask the most important question today before I open up this altar for some prayer. I know it was a lot, but we need to speak truth. And today maybe you don't know Jesus. Today you don't know God, but you're being convicted right now in this place of the sin in your own life. And you're like, hey, I want that freedom you're talking about. I want that time of refreshing. I want that grace of God in my life that can free me from my sin, that can cleanse me, that can wash me, that can make me new, that I can live a new life for Jesus with Him as my Lord. If that's you today and you wanna know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I just encourage you in this place just to lift your hand and I'd love to pray with you. Awesome. All right, I want everyone in this place just to stand to your feet. We need to be moved to action. We need to have our hearts broken for what breaks God's heart. And whether in this place today you're convicted when you hear those words, it's like there's issues in your heart you need to address because you're part of the problem or whether it's issues in your heart you need to address because you're not helping to alleviate the problem, which makes you just as much as part of the problem. I think we could probably all put our hands up for that, hey? But this is an opportunity to repent before God. God, tear my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Change the way I think. Change the way I see. Break my heart. Show me, God. I'm telling you, you can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't change the whole world. Like you can't fix every single problem. But you've got to ask God, what is it you actually want me to do? What have I been ignoring? There's so many ways you can help. There's so many things that you can do. But you've got to do something. And it starts with having your heart broken before God. So I just encourage you, church, we're just going to sing this song. But this is an opportunity. Come to the altar. There's no shame in it. His grace is sufficient for you. But we've got to have our hearts broken before God. And it starts with getting on our knees before Him. Lord, change my heart, break my heart for what breaks yours. So I encourage you to come down the front and we're just gonna come before God in this time of repentance.